Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 66th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that maintains the same band list on white after Labor Day all year long. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product, with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at wizardbumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening. Glad to be here and looking forward to another great episode. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial lines in the hobby. Hey, Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Well, James, this week we have uh, our usual four segments. Segment one is our top movers, where we'll look at the cards that have moved the most in price recently. Got a pretty healthy list this week. Segment two is cards to watch. These are cards James and I think could rise in price over time. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We're going to be looking at Star City Atlanta, which is the first standard event with Amonkhet and post Felidar Guardian ban, so a lot going on there. And finally, segment four, topic of the week, we'll touch briefly on the ban list, uh, the EDH like 1v1 and ban list discussion uh, that popped up on Moto today. So we are going to start the bottom of our list in segment one, top movers. Our first card this week is Always Watching. Uh, this is from Shadows Over Innistrad. Uh, this is the foils that jumped, or the, the prices that I'm looking at for foils, but I think non-foils moved as well. Um, looks like the, the foils doubled from like 650 to 13. Um, this is uh, assuredly in response to exert creatures, uh, because Always Watching is an anthem that also gives your creatures vigilance, uh, which is really powerful with exert. Um, so cards like Glorybringer specifically, and also that, uh, the two mono one three white guy whose name I'm forgetting, binding, binding initiate, glory binding initiate, something like that. Glory, glory bound initiate, I believe. Glory bound initiate. Something was getting bound. Uh, worked very well with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, always watching, uh, you know, is the best of the recent crusade effects in the last several years in standard. And, um, people are going to keep trying to build their, their white weenie decks as, as long as they get, anywhere near enough cards and they never seem to really make it to the top of the format but they're always pretty ever present at the local lgs yeah what's next gideon juro has been making a move uh saffron put together a gideon tribal deck uh, over on goldfish that uh, was pretty popular and of course everybody's pretty excited to see if they can break gideon of the trials so gideon uh juro despite being having two printings uh both are getting a little aged um m12 and rise of the eldrazi were the times that that was printed so we've seen uh foils move from 18 to 42 and the non-foils had uh, also made a significant move that's over 100 percent gain yeah, it has, uh, has been a while since we've seen one of those. It always feels like he's been around, but uh, the supply is definitely draining there. Uh, another important thing to note is that he's been popping up in Modern a little bit, too. Um, I know I saw him in at least one or two deck lists in the Modern Open at Atlanta this weekend. Um, so, well, I don't think that that was the primary driver for his inventory drain. I do think that it certainly helps, especially on old foil copies. Yeah. 
Our next card is Cryptbreaker from Eldritch Moon. Again, I'm looking at the foils this week in prices, but the non-foils have definitely shifted too. Foils jumped from 350 to 10 for a nearly a double, uh, nearly a triple up. I'm sorry. Pretty powerful um, price increase. The reason behind that is that we saw several zombies decks, zombie decks in the uh, at Atlanta this weekend. Um, I think there were what one or two in the top eight. Uh, yeah, well, there's a mono black aggro. I'm sorry. That had that, zombie that, components. Yeah, they had a little bit of that action, but there were several zombie decks in like the top 16 and top 32 is where it came from. Um, and Cryptbreaker has been, was identified during spoilers as being a, a very powerful zombie enabler. So people were kind of like ready for that card. It was like, well, if zombies are going to be good, it's going to be Cryptbreaker and Relentless Dead. Those are just sort of like the go-to cards. Yeah, and interestingly, Relentless Dead in the build that made top 16, there was only two copies of, but there was the full four of Cryptbreaker. Um, and it, it, it did some work on, on camera uh, a couple of different times. They were uh, motivated over at SCG to keep Mardu vehicles off camera. Some, so many of the more interesting builds got camera time until they faded to the background. Yeah, which which is funny because I guess it would uh, would make the camera would make those decks seem overrepresented if you were watching on film rather than looking at the results. Oh, this is the issue with, you know, most spikes that we see in the early rounds of the pro tour, right? They pick out a, a sexy deck and if it manages to win that round, but loses the next six, it never stops the card from spiking for 12 hours. Yeah. Uh, what's next for us? So Protean Hulk got unbanned in EDH and that drove uh, some interest in the card flash, which allows you to get it into play on the cheap for just a one and a blue um, so the card moved from Mirage, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, maybe it's got one other printing. Um, I think it was just Mirage. Moved from $2 to $6 for a 200% gain. I had a few of those sitting around from the Super Collection, so I've thrown those up for sale. We'll see if they move. Yeah, uh, I should point out that while Protein Hulk was unbanned, it definitely does not make Flash playable. <laughs> like that's that's not that was only good like basically in standard or what was it extended at the time or something like that. That is not going to be a part of things that happen. So I don't expect that. Yeah. There was definitely some very broken things you could do with the flash protein health deck, but I'm, uh, I've re- remained to see if it's got enough synergies for DH. <laughs> What's next for his James. Uh, so next on the list, we had cut to ribbons. This is the, uh, split card that lets you kill a creature for one and a red on the sorcery side. And then lets you fireball people out of the game, um, on the backside, which was c- fit in as a single copy uh, for a lot of the Marty Vehicles decks um, and pretty much anybody else who could justify running it. And it seemed to do some good work putting some games away. Oh, that's uh, it's pretty interesting. We, uh, we've talked a lot. We've seen a lot of people talk about split cards, but that's not one of the ones that we saw as much discussion about. Um, so it's interesting to see these, these other ones kind of come out and, and showcase a little bit. This is one of those ones that went from a dollar to three dollars, which makes it hard to make it any money on it unless it keeps pushing. Um, yeah. But this is also a card that people have talked about could be a one or a two of Injund in in modern uh, because it's not utterly embarrassing to kill a creature for two mana uh, with four toughness, um, and the backside in the mid to late game can can polish things off in a, in a deck that might have trouble getting reach. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next on our list is Heartbeat of Spring. We are looking at the Champions of Kamigawa Foils. Um, jumped from 750 to 24. Uh, it's just a really good EDH card. Um, with a very low supply. Again, we're talking about uh, two copies on TCG. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's from Champions of Kamigawa, so it's it's ancient. So there's there's not much else to say there. Uh, next on our list is Shining Shoal 
which I am frantically trying to find the deck that this showed up in because I know that there was something recently, but I'm not exactly positive. Did you find it? No, Shining Tool hasn't rung my bell on anything recently, so if somebody out there knows what was going on with this card this week, let us know, but it moved from uh, $1.50 to $8 for about a 400% gain. I am pretty confident somebody said that they saw this card in a deck recently in a list somewhere, but I don't know where, so I can't help you guys out. <laughs> yeah, we're, kind of, we're kind of falling down on the job here. The whole point is to tell you guys why these cards are spiking. I'm like, ah, I don't know, somebody somewhere played this card. Who knows? I mean, there's a couple of copies, like, sometimes in the green-white hate bears uh, decks in the sideboard for modern, um, but I haven't seen anything, any new and exciting combos, so if anybody knows about one of those that I must have missed, uh, let me know. Yeah, be interested to hear it. Um, all right, what's next for us? Uh, Dakmore Ghoul, a relatively unexciting zombie, except for the part where it was printed in Portal, moved from $2.50 to 18 in theory. I have no idea if you can actually get that for this card. Um, I would assume that this is on the back of extremely low supply being noticed in a situation where people are suddenly excited about zombies, but there are uh, there's just the two copies listed on TCG right now, but market price is still at $3, so I think you can just chalk this up to somebody trying a buyout on a kind of random card and move right along with your life. Yep, I ended up with like five copies at a dollar each because they had them in stock while I was buying some other cards. And I was like, I'll roll the dice on these and take them. But I will be surprised if I make more than a dollar a copy. And that's after having paid a dollar each. I mean, this is a four mana 2-2 that creates a four point life swing. Um, It seems a little high on the curve for zombies where at four mana, you probably want to be laying something down that gives a Lord type effect. Yeah, I mean, it's playable in EDH if you have some way to like blink it or copy it or something like that. But I mean, really... You could do a lot better for four mana, so eh, I don't know. Um, all right, last card on our list this week is Blowfly Infestation. This is a uncommon enchantment from Shadowmoor. Uh, it is says three mana, and whenever a creature is put into a graveyard from play, if it had a minus one, one minus one counter on it, put a minus one minus one counter on another target creature. So it kind of moves the counter around a little bit. Um, works really well with Hoptra, which has. Pushed a couple cards recently. Uh, Crumbling Ashes is the other one that um, has shown up, I think, in a week or two ago. We talked about that one. Uh, Bluefly Infestation is just another part of that engine. Uh, I don't expect these prices to be real. I'm, well, I rephrase that. It started out at 50 cents and jumped to $4. That's definitely going to come down, you know, probably to a dollar or a dollar fifty. Um, and is reasonably reprintable at some point. So, uh, I mean, if you made money on this, that's great, I guess. But, you know, if you bought these at 50 cents, I mean, it's going to be kind of a pain to sell these on TCG players, so you're probably just going to end up buy-listing them for, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe a dollar if you're lucky. Yeah, I think people should chill on this card for a little bit, because I think Hypatra interest is going to build, not wane. Um, I've seen a lot of people relatively excited about the deck, and there has been some YouTube videos focused on it. Um, when I posted the picture of the Korean foil Hypatra that I got for a really sweet price on eBay last week, I got, like, four different offers on the card almost instantly and turned them all down. Um, so it's several other cards that are likely to make the jump that are relatively unique to this deck and were therefore, um, almost worthless up until this point. Uh, one of the ones that somebody mentioned to me on Twitter today was Vadi El Ildal. This is the Tempest legend that makes, uh, I think taps to make thing, uh, a creature one toughness till the end of turn, which is really nice if you're throwing minus one, minus one counters around. That's amusing. I do wonder though. I mean, she's really does not like... She's not that good of an EDH general. I mean, she makes 
you have to deal damage with her to 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 do some dirty work. So really, it's just a token generation. It's just whenever you place a token, you get place a minus one minus one counter, you get an, a token, um, which is fine, I guess. I don't know. She doesn't seem like the most efficient way to do that in Commander. Whatever if people want to play with her, that's fine by me. Yeah, I mean, she I've didn't seen... jump out at me as a as a major reason to play. But she definitely seemed like a commander that does better uh, when she can get on the board and get moving early. Um, you know, certainly one of the less impactful commanders late game. Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, all right, so let's go to segment two, our picks of the week. Uh, what have uh, what have you got us to start us off with this week, James? Well, in contrast to my last comment, let's talk about a commander that is extremely impactful at almost all points of the game. Um, I'm talking about Brea Ethereum Sculptor. Last week I was talking about Atraxa, which I was calling on people to be uh, purchasing uh, at in and around, I think, the 10 to $12 range. Um, a Brea has, is still out there in just the you know 3 to $5 range, depending on where you pick it up. Um, her supply is not much higher um, than Atraxa's, and if you look at the records on EDH Rec, she's probably in the top 10 commanders of all time in terms of decks built, and might be edging her way towards top 5. Um, she's a 4-4 uh, that kind of defines the white, blue, black, red uh, commander options right now. Um, when she enters the battlefield, you create two 1-1 one, one blue Thopter artifact creature tokens with flying, and then her other ability is pay two, sack two artifacts, and choose one, either deal three damage to a player, uh, give a creature minus four, minus four, or gain five life. So, I mean, wildly flexible commander with all sorts of combo interactions. It's only going to get better over time. Um, as an artifact herself in a set of colors that has a million different artifact combos, um, I've been buying up Brea's left, right, and center this week. I think I've got 50 or 60 so far acquired under $4. Um, and uh, like Atraxa, almost impossible to reprint out of outside of something like a Judge Foil. We know for a fact that there's no way this that a commander is going to get printed within a year or two of its first printing in the Commander series itself. And I can't see where else she might pop up. So I think it, getting in on these at five is likely to get you out in the above ten, certainly maybe above fifteen, um, which is going to be a really nice place to be. You only get really ever get to sell one at a time, but if it gets up into that price range, it'll make it worth your while. Yeah, I thought this was a, a really great call, actually, and uh, I have not managed to pick any up, but I've been keeping my eyes open for copies because um, I would like to grab some for myself, uh, especially it just it seems like a slam dunk when you just look at Brea or uh, Atraxa. It's like, okay, so there's almost the same number of decks in this card as a third of the price. I mean, it's just like so straightforward. Yeah, I'll put it to you this way. When I started hunting her down about this time last week after we started talking about Atraxa, um, and I realized Brea was equally as appealing and at a lower price point. Um, you know, there was maybe 200 copies scattered around the various outlets uh, between MTG price vendors and TCG and eBay. Um, I cleaned up 50 or 60 by myself. Other people have been on the hunt as well since I started talking about it on Twitter. And at current, you know, currently there aren't very many vendors on TCG that have more than two copies available. And it's not going to take very long before the lowest price is over seven. Yep. It's a good one. It's a very good one. Um, all right, so my first pick this week is uh, it's a little unorthodox. I'm looking at Waste Knot. It was just reprinted in Commander 2016, and it hails from Magic 2015. It is uh, the, I believe, the most recent You Make the Card uh, edition. It is a two mono black enchantment. It's currently at around 350-ish or so, um, even despite having been reprinted in Commander 16. Uh, the reason I'm I'm keen in on this is that Conley Woods has been streaming this week. Yep. With, a, with, a, with a really unique deck. Uh, it uses As Foretold. Um, and 
but more importantly, Waste Knot. I'm already plays, on board. Yeah, and it uses Wheel of Fate. So remember, Waste Knot is whenever your opponent discards a card, um, it does something. So like you make tokens, or I think you draw, or you, and you gain life or something. So um, it triggers when they when your opponent discards cards. That's the important thing. So if you have Wheel of Fate, they're discarding somewhere between you know three and seven cards. It plays Burning Inquiry, which is for one mana, everyone draws and discards three cards. Uh, it plays um, Whispering Madness, which is people drawing and discarding cards. Um, so you get these humongous swings off of Waste Knot. And, and as for told, that's you turn two Waste Knot, turn three, as for told, fire Wheel of Fate. Uh, and like suddenly dump a ton onto the board. Um, really interesting deck. Um, you know, the, the core components seem to be the Wheel of Fate, which is our, which I would, which I would recommend, but that card just jumped to like $10 and, uh, and was two. So, you know, it's kind of late for that one. It's got Mox Opal, which is, um, you know, probably not as interesting with spec target. As for told, is still too expensive. Whispering Madness, I don't know how vital that is, and I don't love that either. So Waste Knot really seems to be like it might be the the choke point, especially because it's the, the key identity of the deck. Um, it all seems to circle around on that enchantment. So really interesting deck. Uh, probably not good, but good enough that Conley played it once and like really liked it and wanted to go back and keep tuning it. Um, so, and the, and the silver line here too, is that Waste Knot is a really pot, um, appealing casual card. Uh, so I would expect it was, it had already increased in price a good bit before the commander 2016 reprinting. So you're pretty likely to make money on this buying in at three, three fifty, even if Conley's deck doesn't do anything. I think it's a down the road thing, uh, by and large. I mean, the commander 26, uh, cards have been targeted over and over again this year, but the magic 2015 version still has plenty of stock. So we need to see, I would need to see a little bit, uh, see that start to hollow out a bit before I would really go deep. But as you said, I mean, the, this isn't the only deck this has shown up in. It's been in other pox style and discard focused decks, rack style decks before. Um, and it's not going to be the last time that people try to build around it. Uh, casual circles always love these kind of wonky cards. It's like a, Hey, look at this new weird thing I can do with the kitchen table. Yeah. I would say that the thing that concerns me the most is the fact that if it's been reprinted once, it could come again. Um, cause it, well, the wizards has shown kind of a willingness to do that, but that is like the most concern. It's concerning thing. Other than that, I think you're in pretty good shape, but, uh, what's your other card this week? So the other card that was on everybody's radar, but seems to have fallen off a bit. Um, cause it hasn't, nobody seems to have the, the right, uh, shell for this thing to land in is harsh mentor. This is the two, two for two and Amon cat that got people all up in arms that it was going to be a modern staple. And now folks seem to start sort of be backing off that idea, which leaves foils in the 10 to 12, $12 range. And um, which is right about the sweet spot. If it ends up being a staple, that's about where you want to get in. Um, and your target outra is somewhere in the 20 to $30 range, as it has been with things like collect brutality and, and, uh, Call against command and other rares um, from non-fall sets that have done well uh, in modern over the last few years. The thing about Harsh Mentor is, yeah, it does two damage every time they do anything. If they activate their Arcbound Ravager or their Fetch Land or whatever, they're taking damage. But in Naya Burn um, and Straight Burn Shells, I, I, I don't know what slot you can slip this into that isn't a strict downgrade in terms of the damage output speed, given that you're giving them an optional scenario. But I still feel like down the road there's going to be some kind of prison-style deck that maybe makes use of things like uh, Blood Moon and uh, Cough of the Hammer or something. 
uh, alongside Eidolon of the Great Ravel and Harsh Mentor and maybe other, you know, uh, Hate Bear style elements uh, like Leonine Arbiter. Who knows? I, something something whispers in my ear that this is this is not a card to give up on quite yet. Um, I, first of all, we're not really in modern season anymore. Nobody's really focused on that. The pros are all focused on standard leading into the pro tour. Um, and I've seen a few interesting lists. Uh, I have yet to uh, feel like this needs to be a priority because the, the inventory, I think, is going to swell before it shrinks. Um, and I think you can probably wait on this one, you know, for a month or two as we hit, head into peak supply for Amonkhet. Uh, you might be able to score these in the 6 to $8 range if we get to that point. Um, and it doesn't really seem to be a player in standard at all, which will really help the foils float low before they have a chance to get up. Well, it's certainly a distinct card that can have a dramatic impact on the board, so I can respect it from that perspective. I agree that at the moment it seems tough to find a spot for it where it's not kind of just doing something worse. But at the same time, it's it's very, clearly very powerful. So depending on the direction that modern moves, um, you could certainly see it become much more important uh, if you see a lot of on-board type tricks um, for whatever reason. So um, definitely curious there, uh, some of the application. Um, so it's, 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 I like it. I like it. You know, the foils at that price are, are pretty appealing for a card that's clearly very approachable. All right. What's your next pick? Um, my last pick for the week is uh, Sweltering Suns from Amonkhet. It still hasn't come down quite enough for me yet. I think you can probably find a couple copies at $1.50. I really like this closer to a dollar. This is the three mana sweeper, red, the red three damage to all creatures, um, similar to Anger of the Gods. What makes Sweltering Suns, um, the, the newest flavor is that Sweltering Suns doesn't exile, but it does cycle for three mana, which is a really useful function on a card like this because it means you can play them main deck and even four of them main deck and not have them completely clutter up your hand. You know, you can run four, and if you keep hitting zombies all day, you can just jam it over and over and then when you hit an, uh a um if it works marvel player you just cycle the card into something a little more useful so that's a really good out to have on a card like this um in general it just looks like it's pretty well positioned and is going to be very good um at what it does it's just a question of whether the format wants it we don't have any form on sweepers which makes this even more appealing at three because you have to basically jump to fumigate after that i guess you have i guess you have uh which we'll call it the black expertise, which gives creatures minus three, minus three at four. So it's similar. Um, but that cycling is so good. Uh, so in any case, I like this. If you can get them at a dollar, a little less than that. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to sell a lot. Probably won't be able to sell huge amounts of these on TCG player. Um, and make a lot of a profit because you're going from kind of a low dollar value to a low dollar value. Although you've been selling play sets is a lot better than selling EDH cards for sure. But you will, you could pick these up at, a dollar and then trade them at four or five dollars at your local store, which would work out very well for you. So if you're a binder grinder specifically, I think Sweltering Suns is a is a pretty interesting pick. I mean one of the things that that holds me off on these kind of cards is that we've seen numerous white wrath effects not really get there and Kozilex return seemed like the super slam dunk and it keeps rearing its head over and over again in the format but and as a mythic. Um and yet still isn't making me any money on the copies I've got sitting around. Um, I mean, it's been up a little since it was down, but not anything to get real excited about. Um, and that's just got me sh- gun-shy on all of these uh, utility cards and standard that aren't, uh, you know, four of mythics like Gideon that are going to be feel like the top five cards in the format. 
Well, sure. I think that's a very fair point. You know, you know, you can talk about the specifics of a card like Kozlux Return or any of the other ones and debate why they did or didn't move. Um, ultimately, I'm banking on cycling being more useful than people appreciate at first glance, especially on a card that is extremely good against some decks but terrible against others, which may make it good enough to to just main deck four if you if you're in red. Um, but we will see. So you know. I'm giving you a low, a low, a low price point to buy in. We're not quite there, um, and you should be able to trade down. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not advocating anyone spend hundred dollars on these at the moment. So uh, just, just more of a card to keep an eye out for. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to our metagame we can review. This is the first one of these we've had in a while. Um, uh, Standard was pretty stale and then kind of dried up entirely as we headed into the set release. But now we've had our first weekend of Standard and still Mardu vehicles everywhere. I, you know, that's, I think that that's a, that's a, um, that's a particularly pessimistic way to approach this, these results, <laughs> I think. Uh, you're right. Mardu Vehicles placed five in the top eight, including the top three places. So clearly had a very good weekend. But you're talking about a tuned tier one deck, uh, coming that was already aggressive too. We're not talking like a tuned tier one control list. This was an, as an aggressive mid, mid rangey deck. Um, so it's positioned to do well in a new format, along with a ton of players bringing old decks that need to be figured out again and brand new strategies because there's just this huge hole in the metagame now. And if you get out past the top eight, uh, you really see the variation open up and you see a lot more interesting cards around there or a lot more interesting decks, which I think is really appealing. You know, I can scroll through in the top eight, you've got white, red humans and black, green delirium. And then you have blue, red thermo alchemist, uh, green, black aggro, aetherworks, zombie, just guy control, blue, red emerge, green, red energy, green, white tokens. Um, so definitely some, some curious decks floating around in here. So while the, while the clear winner of the weekend was Mardu vehicles, um, I think that this bodes well for standard in the near term, uh, because clearly there's a lot of room to work with. Yeah, there's also something to be said for the fact that because of the emergency banning on Wednesday or whatever it was last week, the the people leading into this tournament didn't have a whole lot of time to get their shit together. Um, And so a lot of them would have chosen to fall back on Mardu vehicles just knowing that it was a reliable deck and an aggressive deck. And in week one, aggressive decks tend to do better because the control decks haven't really figured out what they need to target yet. Um, And there's also something to be said for the fact that the pros are going to be holding back their tech. And a lot of them didn't show up at this tournament at all because they're already on site testing for the Pro Tour. Right. Um, so the you know we're we're seeing some hints at what's possible in this format. We know that Mardu and Black Green Delirium are going to have the biggest targets on their backs. The question is, can somebody come up with something that is um, positioned well against them and against what else might scatter shot across the field? The thing is, is you know we can definitely expect to see something a little more interesting at the Pro Tour because even if you even if Mardu vehicles is still the best deck in the format, like let's just imagine that that's the case. Uh, the pro- professional players are going to be someone at that pro tour is going to be attacking that pretty hard. Enough people are going to go, okay, I'm just going to Mardu vehicles is tier one. So I'm going to show up with four mangle horns and four other pieces of artifact removal and just try and blow them all out of the water with that. Um, so there's going to be still people floating around at that event, trying to do something a little different, which I think will, will look good too. Uh, and, and even if it is the best sack in the format, at least we're seeing a lot of different other stuff. But in general, it seems fairly beatable to me. Um, you know, again, even if it is the best sack in the format, if you really want to, you can take it down. Uh, you're just giving up percentage against the metagame. So certainly at the very least, a much better position than we were in two weeks ago. 
I, I don't think there's any debate that getting rid of the Sahili Rai combo was good for the format, um, busted things wide open. No one's going to fault Wizards for the end result of that in retrospect, and, and the fury at the way that they handled it will fade um, as it does with most of the, the things we complain about as a community. You know, uh, now, now that I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about it is I'm thinking about the players who are thinking about going to this event. Anyone planning to go to this uh, before what Tuesday, Wednesday was like, oh, I'm going to have to play with, deal with copycat. So I'm going to bring copycat. Uh, they're, they're either basically bringing um, vehicles or copycat. Then copycat gets banned. Okay, well, if I was going to bring copycat, now I have to bring a completely new deck. So if I have vehicles, I'm just going to bring that because I know vehicles is fine. And if I don't have vehicles, I have to scrap together a brand new deck out of nowhere. Like I have four days to put together something completely different. So they're just going back, probably back to just old MTG top eight list to see what they can find. Whereas all the players who were already on vehicles get to just show up with it again. And anyone who wasn't on either of them is just making stuff up at that point because what are they going to play? So it's just like a very few people were coming into that event knowing ahead of time that they weren't playing Mardu vehicles and having the time to like build a deck that didn't also have to deal with copycat. I just, I get the more I think about it, the less surprised I am that vehicles did so well. You know what card I liked on camera in the mono black decks was Night Market Lookout. That's the one one that when it taps, uh, when it becomes tapped, you each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. That had, sure. had, had me wondering whether there's some kind of like mono black Throne of the God King deck that does all sorts of <laughs> crazy drain effects. Yeah, I mean, we've seen cards like that do well. Uh, Pulse Tracker from... Uh, was it Rise of the Eldrazi was good too. That definitely showed up in standard zombie builds back then. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, the one we're talking about is the standard, so it's Pulse Tracker, so you can't do too much with that. But it certainly gives the deck some much-needed reach, which can kind of set up your other cards. Um, you know, did you see all those Glint Sleeve Siphoners too? That seemed pretty popular. Uh, definitely the most viable Dark Confidant that we've had in a while after a string of unplayable Dark Confidants. The, the weirdest thing there was that deck made almost no energy. And so it was basically just playing it as a 2-1 menace creature that like once in a blue moon drew a card. That is true. We did not see too much energy this weekend, even within those decks that kind of wanted the energy. They were making too much of it. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving along, uh, I guess our only thing we wanted to just check the box tick the box on topic of the week was the announcement this afternoon that uh the commander format on magic online and i'm I, I have to imagine this was because of some kind of programming snafu has the same band list for the one v1 commander the player to player commander format as it's going to have for the multiplayer format and because the really good mana rocks like Mana Crypt, Mana Vault, and Mishus Workshop, and Soul Ring are all super busted in 1v1, they put them on the ban list along with the Power 9, uh, or I guess most of the Power 9, all the Moxes and Black Lotus, Channel, Fast Bond, Gaia's Cradle, uh, and Tolarian Academy. So all, most of the most broken ways to make mana were put onto the Fast Mana list. And then there was a bunch of combo enablers and oppressive commanders and so forth. Um, although Leovold didn't make that list either. I mean, the whole thing just, to sum it up, felt like a grab bag of um, user experience being dictated by programming. Yeah, this is a, a kind of a random choice. And I, I'm on the same page as you. There can't be any reason for this other than they had to make them the same, which is pretty funny, <laughs> all things considered. Um you know, I, I'm curious, though. Well, so there's a lot of concern that this is going to leak into the paper 
sphere. I know that Sheldon and some of those guys kind of came out and said, no, this is not going to impact uh, paper EDH. They're different games. Um, you know, they're social contracts in real life that aren't online. So don't worry. They're not the same thing. So I respect that. And I mostly believe them. I don't think that they're going to be m- pushing to move those cards, um, the, the, this type of ban list into, into uh, real life. But what do you think that kind of impact this has on modal prices? Do you think that this matters enough to really change things? If it takes off, some cards are going to spike on Moto for sure. Um, it's, it's worth looking at the the cards that are most important in one v one commander, which I should. It's worth pointing out are completely different than they are in multiplayer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one v one commander f- plays a lot more like uh, tiny leaders um, than it does like commander in the way that most people play it. Um, Legacy light. Yeah, it's like Legacy Light. Um, and so somebody, I saw somebody on Twitter suggest midsize leaders. Just call it midsize leaders and sure. uh, distance it from Commander. Fair enough. I mean, the it certainly gave me some pause for the two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars worth of uh, expensive masterpiece Mana Rocks that I that I purchased from Europe recently. Um, now you know I'm already part of the way through selling those, um, but I have to imagine that the sale of those objects is going to slow down. <laughs> As people absorb this news and try to figure out if what Wizards is really heading towards is taking control of the band list at some point in print. Um, I don't think that's an easy thing to happen. I think there's, you know, a, a legacy of the independent council controlling that that isn't uh, easy or obvious to overcome. But their explanation that they didn't want to cause confusion online by having two different lists is silly because... Now we have confusion between online and offline, which is just as likely to impact people's commitment to purchasing cards for both formats. And I think that calling into question the viability of yet more cards that were just published this year, and in this case, the ones that the lotto tickets they were using to sell packs, starts to get you know pretty dicey um, and leads you down a bad road. So uh, I think that most of that stuff is probably safe. I'm not really worried about uh, whether soul rings are going to be useful, but I think one of the signals I'd be looking for later this year is whether soul ring shows up again in the commander 2017 product. Um, if it's, if it's absent there, then it sends a signal about what they might be thinking. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's possible. I, after having listened to some of the chatter on Twitter today, it, you know, there's a lot of people who say, and I am certainly one of them have said it in the past that Soul Ring really should be banned. It's silly that Soul Ring isn't banned in EDH given what else is on the list, but some good points were made on Twitter, um, that it's part of the identity and the face of the format, which I can kind of buy. Uh, and it doesn't, I don't know. Um, I, I suppose it's possible that they could get rid of it, but you know, I feel like we've got a little while, a while before we get to that point. Um, certainly makes those Soul Ring masterpieces that uh, got bought out a couple days ago uh, a little more interesting. So if you manage to pick up any of those, probably put those on a bit of a shorter time frame than like 10 years because you don't want to get with your pants caught down on uh, on a banning on a $150, $200 card. Well, and don't forget that we're getting uh, iconic masters in the late fall um and i would be very surprised if they are uh if they are not uh looking to get rid of soul ring in paper magic in general then soul ring is is an easy include there it's an iconic card um yeah and we could get foils yet again just a year later um now who knows what kind of art they're going to use or what have you or whether it's going to be any more or less desirable than the masterpiece version or the judge promo version but something to be considering um, I mean, here's my take on Soul Ring. There's, there's no debate the card is is broken in half, just like anything, any of the other ridiculous mana rocks. I mean, it costs one and makes two. It's it's fundamentally the wrong math for magic. 
my argument, and, and there's no debate that it creates variance in the sense that if one player starts a, you know, three player commander game, um, with it in, in play on turn one and the other people don't, gra- don't draw their super mana rocks, then they will be a step behind for the rest of the game. Um, so it creates variance and it's a busted card. So why do I think it's important for commander? I don't think it's important. I think that it is in fact part of the identity and I want there to be a format that like vintage allows us to do a bunch of crazy busted things and i'm willing to accept variance as a commander player uh, as one of the as a feature as opposed to a problem um yeah now, if you think i think if you move commander towards a competitive sphere and certainly 1v1 commander with prizes online is is by definition more competitive um then it's better off to think of that as a completely different format that has different needs um in a competitive environment where you're 1v1 that level of variance is less acceptable because it's very frustrating when uh, who draws the best card first wins the game. I think when you're facing four other players and you draw Soul Ring and they don't, you definitely have an advantage, but it's spread out and and can make you a target, which is one of the things that I think needs to be considered anytime you're looking at bannings in EDH is you know, whether uh, a card that's really good on the table really just wins you the match or whether it just gets you killed. Um, it's, a, it's a deep conversation, but... Uh, I thought it was a bit of a weird choice the way they rolled it out online. Yeah, certainly. And I for for as much as it matters, I suppose, I really think that your point about Soul Ring and its place in the format and um the variance is really is is well thought out and um also really that it, I can't stress enough that one v one and multiplayer are absolutely just completely different experiences, you know, uh and not shouldn't cannot be compared. And I saw some other people talking about how they should just rename the 1v1 online to not, you know, it shouldn't be called 1v1 Highlander. Commander. Yeah, it should just be called something completely different because uh, they're so distinct that it's not fair to compare them. Yeah. All right. So I think that's a, a wrap for this week, right? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Uh, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MDGPrice.com. And I've also got a video going up on Tolarian Academy tomorrow, uh, where I debate with the professor about uh, whether modern is too expensive. So if you want to yell at me about that, head over to YouTube and check that out tomorrow. Oh, my. That uh, I'm sure will be something. <laughs> what? <laughs> I wonder where the line is drawn for too expensive, because that seems like a wide line. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had trouble fitting my arguments into less than 12 minutes, but we got there. Wow. Uh, tw- yeah, okay. Well, and my name is Travis. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. Uh, and I'm on the Monday podcast, the Cartel Aristocrats. And if you like playing magic, check out scry.land. Uh, find magic in your area. And I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to an end of episode 66. Uh, Thanks again for coming tonight, James, and uh, I'll see you next week. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.